Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and uh, this podcast is going to be pretty awesome. It's about better road construction, and like many of you, I'm not a great fan of road construction. It costs a ton and seems like it takes forever. So our guest today, Tim Sylvester, founder and CEO of Integrated Roadways, has a better way to do road construction. So this is one of our first interviews for Flower Labs focused on big ideas. And so and these ideas can and will impact your life and hopefully make you think about life and business in a new way. And so Integrated Roadways has a modular payment system for road construction. And so these individual modules can be dropped into place to form the road and are fully connected to the internet. At least that's my understanding. So that's pretty awesome. And so let's jump right in and learn more. Tim, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And so let's uh, let's just jump right in. I, I'm curious to hear more about the integrated roadways product and how it works. And then the, maybe a little more comf- company information. But let's start with the kind of the product. Yeah, absolutely. So our main product is Smart Pavement. Smart Pavement transforms the roadway into a sensor data and connectivity corridor for next generation mobility, including smart cities, 5G cellular distributed antenna systems, Internet of Things, um, and connected electric and autonomous vehicles. Nice. Okay. And so... How you know? How does that impact? Let's say you know, compared to roads now, they don't have any of that. How will that kind of help that connectivity? How will that help in the future? Well, the goal is to make roads pay for themselves. Uh, right now, roads are one of the largest public assets and a massively underfunded liability. Uh, the United States has trillions of dollars of unfunded road improvements. Uh, so by transforming them into essentially the ISP for next-generation vehicles, we can actually make the roads make enough money to pay for their own existence so that we can afford to improve America's infrastructure. And as long as they're self-sustaining, we're never going to have this um, dynamic again where there's not enough money to pay for road improvements. Cool. And and so how would it help kind of- – these are connected uh, roads with, you know, self-driving cars or, you know, what, what type of information will you pass back and forth and why is that necessary? Yeah, so we use a, um, a series of sensors in the roadway to identify vehicle position in real time in very high resolution. Um, it's essentially the same way that uh, a touchscreen works, uh, except for looking for tires And by being able to detect vehicle positions and then communicate those positions to all of the connected vehicles, um, we massively reduce the amount of technology that needs to go on the vehicle, which makes it much less expensive uh, to use or, you know, repair after an incident um, and much more reliable. You may have seen um, some issues where some Teslas have uh, had collisions with non-moving objects. And because we can detect uh, all of the vehicles on the road um, in, a, in a, essentially a passive manner, um, we can greatly improve the ability to identify the relative locations of everything on the road, not just cars. Cool. All right. And what about uh, 
what about like ice? Could you ever identify ice on the roads? Uh, yeah, that is um, one aspect of what we're doing. Um, so, you know, incorporating sensor loadouts so that we can detect um, ice and, and other forms of precipitation, uh, as well as detect the internal condition of the pavement. Um, we see this as being a platform technology that is extensible and customizable to the needs of the local environment. Gotcha. Okay. And so, you know, how, how do you kind of envision it working? So let's say you're in Kansas City and let's say they, uh, one of the highways, you know, going to be reconstructed. And so they're like, oh, let's work with the integrated roadways and put in your, your modular mm -hmm. system. And so mm -hmm. you, you put it in and um, would, uh, so who would pay for that road? And then who would, uh, you know, would the self-driving cars then start paying you for the data? And kind of how would that all kind of look? Yeah, so we, we intend to finance improvements using a public-private partnership structure um, that is promoted by the U.S. Department of Treasury uh, and was um, the preferred implementation of, of public-private partnerships under the Obama administration. It's the same um, P3 structure that the Trump administration is currently advocating for to improve infrastructure. Uh, so basically it allows um, private investors to fund the upgrades and then recover their investment through the user fees for the digital services. It's essentially the same way that a tollway is financed, except we never charge tolls because we don't need to. We make the money not on the vehicle being there, but on the services that we can provide to that vehicle. Now, Initially, you're looking at um, monetizing data for real estate development, for um, insurance companies, for smart city concerns. Um, as vehicles become uh, connected and as people's connectivity demands while they're in motion continue to increase, uh, then we start acting as a neutral host network for 5G cellular um, I won't go into all the details of distributed antenna systems, uh, but how to put antennas every couple hundred feet all throughout a city is an intractable problem right now for cell carriers. And it's one that we solve actually at the request of uh, a major cell carrier. Um, and then finally, as the vehicles uh, transition from connected to autonomous, um, we start delivering uh, the um, images of the relative vehicle positions in real time and at, at, a, at a high speed. This is basically the same way your television works, except instead of, uh, you know, um, something interesting to look at, it's really just images of the relative positions of all the vehicles in real time. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so you also have the component of um, build to work with 5G and be a provider. Or you all have your own antennas embedded into the concrete, essentially? Well, we would be a neutral host, which okay. is the same way that 4G, um, 4G towers work. Okay. You know, we, we provide everything up to the antenna, and then the uh, cell company owns the antenna itself. Gotcha. Wow, that's cool. All right. Um, and Okay, and so if somebody's like, well, why will self-driving cars need this? They're going to be, you know, so accurate and, you know, which we know is it's a it's a tall order, right? But what if somebody says that you know how 
how could you help them? I mean, I know you can help them with a better positioning, but will they already have mm -hmm. that? Or will you just give a, a lot more refined positioning? And how accurate is uh, your positioning, do you think? Well, um, first, you know, we need a, uh, a reality check for autonomous cars. Okay, <laughs> so the average car today uh, is about 12 years old, and it's worth about $24,000. The lowest price autonomy, not even autonomy, the lowest price driver assist aftermarket package is about $35,000 right now. And, you know, it's not reasonable to expect that the average person is going to be able to more than double their investment in an automobile, um, it's not reasonable to think that we're going to turn over the automobile inventory faster than the 12-year 50% average that we've had for decades now. Um, and these systems that are fully on board don't really work very well anyway, which is why Toyota and other automakers very much pulled back over the last six months or so from their extremely optimistic projections about functioning systems in 2019 and 2020, um, it was it was never going to happen this way. So actually, in-road guidance systems are the return to the historical norm for the development of autonomous vehicles, which has been in process since the 1920s. That said, um, you know, let's say that you live in an area with inclement weather where, um, you know, there may be a hailstorm or an ice storm or something. Um, if you have $35,000 worth of sensors and equipment on the roof of your car and a ice-laden tree branch falls on your car, uh, that's a problem. So by shifting everything, uh, not everything, but by shifting most of the technology off of the vehicle and into the network, um, not only can we amortize the expense of the equipment across everybody that uses the network instead of the individual vehicle owner, we're also protecting it from um, collisions and inclement weather and other dangerous operating conditions. And one final note is that every advanced data-driven technology that we use depends on a network, the Internet, cellular uh, systems. Um, cable, satellite, all of these things depend on a network. And in my perspective, being an electrical and computer engineer with a background in wired and wireless networking, the idea that somehow autonomous cars can be independent is it's just extremely unrealistic and not supported by any of our technological progress in that market or any other. Gotcha. Okay. And that one more question, then I'd like to hear a little bit about your background. But so, you know, how, how would it work? You know, and how do you foresee it starting out? Because you're not going to be able to have every road, right, with these connected systems. So would you just focus right. on, like, the major high-traffic areas first? And then um, and maybe some roads, like the re like residential roads, might not ever need it, I suppose. Or what's your kind of vision how to roll this out. Yeah, so we're currently focused on implementing pilot implementations to demonstrate the technology, to validate it, to expose it to big data companies, to cell carriers, um, connected automakers, and autonomous automakers, because they can't build to our platform if they don't see our platform working. The next step is to begin expanding the network by identifying road improvement projects that are already planned 
um, but don't have sufficient funding and providing a portion of financing for the project to offset the added cost of the technology that we deliver. Um, that will get us small seed installations in major cities. Now, the final uh, point I need to explain a little bit, most people don't realize that nearly half of the roadways in the United States desperately need full reconstruction right now. There's just no money for it. And rebuilding a road costs about $2 million per lane, per mile, to get it in place. Wow. And then it costs about $6.5 million for the public to own that road for the next 50 years. By transforming the road into essentially uh, commercial um, real estate, uh, you know, it's not pay to enter in the same way that you don't pay to walk inside a store. Um, but by, by enabling it to generate revenue um, that's essentially identical to the surrounding commercial real estate, um, we can actually finance these improvements and go after the nearly 50% of the market that needs improvement, but there's just no money to do it. And investors are clamoring for this kind of, of opportunity. Um, there are hundreds of billions of dollars in the capital markets that have been allocated for transportation infrastructure in the United States. They just need a method to return capital to their investors. You know, they can't, they can't do it just as, as a charity. Um, and the average city has um, tens of millions of square feet of uh, road improvements that are just sitting on the sidelines. So by being able to enable private investors uh, to generate a return on investment without the need for a toll uh, and enable cities to finance improvements without the need for tax increases, we're solving two enormous problems on each side. Gotcha. Okay. And can you kind of break down, um, you know, you mentioned the $2 million per lane per mile, which is an enormous, mm -hmm. so a four lane highway would be 8 million bucks per mile. Is that what that would be? Uh, yeah, they're about, you know, it's going to vary significantly yeah. based on rural versus urban. But according to the American Road and Transportation Builders Association, the average road costs about $2 million per lane per mile. Wow. And so how, you know, how would your system work? Cause, I mean, do you have you figured out how much it would, how your how much your system might cost to uh, um, implement? And then, you know, what type of... Uh, returns do you think you could get if this if this is mm -hmm. public but yeah 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 so um our system costs essentially twice the expense of an average roadway so okay. we're looking at about four million dollars per lane per mile however um we project that within 15 years we'll be making more than a million dollars annually from every lane mile installed which means it's going to take about 10 years for the early installations to pay off. Um, but as the size of the network grows and we have more users um, and the cost of the technology falls because of economies of scale, we see the ability to completely repay the investment in road improvements in three to five years. Now, currently, a road has a negative cash value of $6.5 million per lane, per mile, over a 50-year life. With our system that generates revenue from roadways, we see the ability to generate $30 million over that life. So the ability to flip the books from minus $6.5 million to plus $30 million is 
enormously impactful to the vitality of our our urban areas, which have ever-increasing demands on transportation infrastructure, but no way to support the necessary investments. So in that revenue you're going to get from uh, you know customers who are buying the data or with the cell the cell uh, the 5G aspect have have you talked to them about the the fees you might charge and are, are they open like does it seem reasonable? Yeah, you know everything that uh, we're offering currently yeah. is either in line with current pricing in the okay. market or um, below cost. And, you know, one of those reasons is because um, the, uh, the real estate is consistently owned by over large areas by a single owner, which you can't say for any other real estate, uh, you know, commercial, industrial, residential, and just collapsing the overhead cost of dealing with multiple landlords by condensing into a single landlord is a huge improvement for um, the cost profile of distributed antenna mm-hmm. systems. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. So a little bit about you. Like, how, how did you come up with this idea? And you know, you mentioned, of course, you're an electrical computer engineer. But can you give us a little background on yourself and how you came up with this idea and when you started working on it? Oh, <laughs> Dave, I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. I mean, if you can't tell that, like, I can no, tell, I, that and I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dave, I I grew up in rural Missouri, and I was always the biggest nerd um, in my class. (laughs) You know, I was was the first kid on the Internet. Um, My first business was selling burn CDs to classmates. Um, I used to tell people, oh, you got to get email. You got to use online chat. You know, Um, you got to play video games. And they're like, oh, give me a break, dude. But now all that stuff is completely standard. So I've always had uh, a long view on technology development and a good understanding of the inevitable. Um, But being from a rural area, there's not any tech jobs out there. I couldn't work for a startup. I didn't have the educational background that would take me to MIT or to Stanford. So I went into construction. And, you know, I would build things during the day, and at night I would get home and geek out on the internet and play video games, what, what and it occurred build? to me. Or what did you build during the day? What, what were you working oh, on? Oh, gosh. Um, I was a uh, home builder, okay. and I also worked on commercial projects. And what I noticed was one of the biggest limitations to building quickly was how long it would take to get the road to the job site so that we could start. And so I spent a lot of time watching people build roadways, um, and I realized there had to be a better way. So I started investigating better, faster, cheaper uh, methods for road construction, and I discovered that there's a lot of ways that we can speed up road construction. It's not the lack of options or even knowledge about those options. It's the lack of funding. Because when your industry has been scraping by on only a portion of what it needs to operate for decades, you can't afford to invest in innovation. And I noticed when the USDOT stopped investing in autonomous vehicle research in 1997, after Congress refused to provide long-term funding um, for the interstate system. That, that really caught my attention. And so I started thinking, you know, if they won't do it, it still needs to be done. 
So we've got to figure out a better way. And, you know, coming from my background, this wasn't something that I could begin immediately. Um, and then uh, cars weren't ready anyway. Even if I had a fully realized product in the late 90s, there wouldn't have been a car out there to use it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so when did you start working on this idea? Well, um, so I really uh, came out in 2012 and did our first work uh, with the Kansas Department of Transportation on I-35, just south of Kansas City. And um, we showed the ability to do what's called a joint repair in 90 minutes instead of four hours. And they said, wow, this is amazing. We love it. It's so cool. It's such a help. We can't afford it. There's no way for us to use it. We're required by law to buy the cheapest option. And, you know, that was really frustrating for me. And so I started trying to work with other public agencies and came to realize that everybody was required by law to use the cheapest product available. And they couldn't, they couldn't adopt innovation because they didn't have the money to. And so that's when I realized that if we leveraged information technology and the network effects that are possible by investing in IT, that we could actually make roads pay for their own existence. Interesting. Okay. And so back in 2012, was your, was your initial idea the modular idea or did you were you working on other stuff? Um, it was always uh, modular, okay. um, precast, factory-built pavement systems. That's that's a better, faster, cheaper way to build. Um, you know, I, I always knew that we would have to um, impregnate the whole thing with technology <laughs> at some point, but yeah. I, I figured that we would build a market for the raw precast pavement and then start introducing tech. So it was kind of a surprise to me when I realized that the tech was actually the the differentiating value proposition that was going to cause people to adopt uh, our road system. Gotcha. And and can you tell us a little bit about your company? Like, you know, who's uh, your team and have you raised any money? And um, yeah, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Integrated Roadways is a 12-person operation. And, um, you know, being from the Midwest, we have a cost profile for operations that is absolutely impossible for anybody in Silicon Valley to replicate. Um, So currently, uh, we're in the final stages of closing our angel round, and we'll be announcing that here in probably two or three weeks. Um, And then following that, we're going to uh, get started on our seed raise um, in order to expand the team and uh, go out and perform more of these installations and plant the seeds of the uh, smart pavement network um, in another three to five cities. Okay, and and how would you? How do you foresee having kind of your first project? Like, would you? You know, would it be in a highway? Would it be downtown? And how would you? How big would it be? You know, can you kind of give us a feel for how you envision getting started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we are uh, currently working with the city of Denver to receive final approval to do a small proof of concept installation on a very high traffic area that is currently under construction. Um, And then after we complete the, the POC, Uh, We're going to begin building a half mile of uh, smart pavement um, 
on a highway in the state of Colorado that has an extremely high um, run-off-the-road accident rate. And it's in a rural area. Um, and, you know, sometimes it'll be weeks after somebody drives off the road before anybody notices that there's a car at the bottom of the cliff. It's a truly devastating situation, not only for the family members, but for the community. You know, that kind of thing haunts you. And so the same systems that we use um, to detect vehicle positions to enable autonomy, we also use to detect when somebody's car has driven off the road so that we can automatically alert emergency cool. services to come out and rescue them. Nice. Okay. Gotcha. And, and how, what's the timing for, you know, compared to traditional road construction to build a mile versus a mile with your system? Mm-hmm. So the actual uh, construction time for the pavement is only 20% of traditional construction time because we don't have to set up formwork. We don't have to, um, you know, uh, lay it out in a continuous motion. We don't have to finish the surface or let it cure. Um, so we're done in only 20% of the time. But the earthwork takes the exact same amount of time no matter what. And so all in all, that means that we speed the rate of road construction by about 50% using today's equipment and, and um, capabilities. But we do see the ability to continuously reduce uh, the time of installation by um, providing more um, you know, customized equipment and more automation end-to-end -end throughout the process. Gotcha. And what type of... Uh... Like regulatory hurdles, do you have to overcome? I don't know a lot about road construction, so I'm curious. You know, like with Denver, are you having to like prove that your pavement will be safe and won't buckle, or you know, what do you have to go through? Well, lucky for us, um, this road has already been paved. If you'll excuse the pun, uh, okay. <laughs> the Federal Highway Administration has been um, funding uh, through grant programs. Uh, one in particular called Highways for Life. Uh, but the SHWA has been funding implementations of precast pavement for the last 15 years. So most states have already used it at least once. Um, most states already have the specifications and requirements nailed down for how to build a precast roadway. So it's really just okay. the technology aspect of our work that, that you know, they remain curious about. Um, now, I do want to make the point, we are not a road builder, we're not an engineering firm, we're not a construction firm, we're a technology provider, um, a vendor of finished goods, and a network operator. So we always work with an existing in-market engineering firm to design the road, an existing in-market um, precast production facility to build the individual pavement slabs and an existing in-market construction firm to install them and finish the job site. Gotcha. Okay. And and how does um how does the technology work with the sensors in the road and then does it how does the data get back to the to the internet and your software? Is it uh connected to the cell towers somehow? Well, so uh, our road plugs in. Uh, this is the first road that you have to plug in and turn on okay. for it to work. <laughs> okay, um, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, we we do have a um, basically a router at the edge of the pavement system that has all of our interconnects and plugs. Okay. 
Now, I do want to emphasize that everything that's in the roadway is passive. We do not have active electronics that are permanently installed in the road because the reality is those those wear out. You know, the only thing that we have that's permanently in the road is the cable and wire, and that is resilient to upgrades on either side in the same way that you don't have to rewire your house when you get smart home products. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And uh, so the you know Trump, the Trump administration is talking about putting the quite a bit of money, trillions of money into infrastructure. How does the, how will that impact you guys, do you think? That is an extremely positive signal for us. Um, you know, every time Secretary Chow has um, spoken publicly about investing in um, public infrastructure, she's emphasized 80% of it will be through private financing. Mm. And, you know, the journalists always say, okay, how do they make their money back? And that is always um, a stymieing topic because the only answer for that right now is tollways. But only half of U.S. states accept tollways. And even if every state accepted tollways, you can't toll Market Street in San Francisco. That's never going to happen. It's impossible um, to efficiently provide tolls in a dense urban environment that has hundreds, if not thousands of interconnections all throughout the network. Tolling only really works on interstate systems that have limited access. Um, but we wipe that clean and completely eliminate the need uh, by replacing tolling as a revenue um, for, uh, we replace tolling with the uh, revenue from digital services. Number one, these services don't exist currently. Number two, for the ones that we provide that already do exist, you're already paying a subscription fee um, for your cell company, for your insurance plan. And, you know, we make the operation of those existing services more efficient, which means that we don't expect your provider to increase the bill to you because they get um, a lower cost of operation, even though they're now paying us a service fee uh, to receive that. So, you know, by uh, greatly diversifying the revenue opportunities uh, that are available through roadways and by eliminating the social and political and economic and technological hurdle of having to charge a toll, um, we see this as a way for uh, private investors to invest in public infrastructure without all the hassles of a toll. And that by itself resolves the primary obstacle for the Trump infrastructure plan to come to fruition. So would you guys take the place of, the, you know, you see all these cell towers along the highways. I mean, would you guys take the place of those or kind of supplement uh, those towers? It, it would towers? be, it would be supplemental. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now we're using a 4G connection. Okay. 1G, 2G, and 3G are all still operating. They haven't been shut down. You use 1G every time you send a text message. So what would happen with our system is the neutral host will provide service to anybody that's basically in a 30-meter sphere of the roads, and then existing 4G towers would be redirected to aim at you know the height of buildings, um, improving service inside office buildings, or um, reposition so that they face areas that are not within 30 meters of a road. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so if things work out, you know, where do you, where do you see yourself in 20 years from now, ideally? 
Well, our goal is to build a uh, 200,000 lane mile nationwide network that is just a spider web across the United States, replacing 10% of the existing roads that are in need of service. You know, um, we could certainly do better than that, but we encourage competition. The the size of the, the opportunity and the size of the need is so large that this is not something where, you know, having other people using similar technology to build smart highways is going to hurt us. Um, if anything, that's just going to boost confidence in our technology and our business model. So in 20 years, we see ourselves acting as the Internet service provider for connected and autonomous vehicles and answering the question of, okay, your car's driving itself, what now? Because you're not going to sit there and stare out the window (laughs) while your car drives you to work. You're going to want to be productive. You're going to want to be entertained. You're going to want to socialize. And by providing that high-speed connectivity, the apps and the services into the autonomous vehicle, um, we can allow you to either – Um, extend your working day so that you're making more money when you would normally just be sitting idly in a car or reduce your working day um, by enabling you to be entertained or socialized um, while you're commuting. Interesting. Okay. Awesome. So last question that's not related to your work is what do you like to do uh, in your free time? Uh, Well, you know, um, I'm still the same person I've always been. Uh, I, I really like uh, video games. Um, you know, I like uh, reading the news. Uh, that doesn't sound entertaining to a lot of people, <laughs> but the the state of the world is fascinating to me. Um, and you know, I like watching movies. Uh, I, I especially think that the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just a masterpiece. Interesting, awesome. All right. Well, that sounds like some fun uh, free time. But uh, so I think we're at the end of the podcast, unfortunately. But uh, Tim, it's been great to hear your story and what you're working on and how you're going to change roads, and which is definitely needed. So uh, really appreciate you coming on the show and telling telling us all about it. Absolutely, Dave. I I really appreciate your having me here. Thank you for uh, sharing the podcast with me and you know giving me the opportunity to soapbox a little bit about uh you know how we can fix america's infrastructure that's right here's to a uh, better uh, better roads in the future <laughs> thanks that's <Tim>. right <laughs> and thanks, thanks everyone Dave. thanks tim and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of flyover labs as always i definitely appreciate it and we'll see you next time thanks everyone thanks tim bye <laughs>